Romans chapter 13, and we're going to begin at verse number 1. We're in a passage of the book of Romans where it's really not difficult to understand what the Apostle is getting at. Uh, We've had some really serious stuff to think about, in particularly the first 11 chapters, some very detailed explanation of of the gospel and the work of the Lord and now we're in this section from the beginning of chapter 12 where we see how it all works out in our life and as we read these passages chapter 12, chapter 13 and 14, 15 and 16 it's full of what um, people who know about the structure of the Bible, it's full of what's called imperatives right? Now an imperative is something that's necessary it's something that's clear it's something that's very uh, deliberate and there's no wiggle room in an imperative it's just a a straightforward explanation of behavior that should characterize the christian and so these verses actually bear little explanation because apart from a few unusual english words that are in the translation the instructions are actually really pretty straightforward The difficult bit is not understanding what the instructions are. The difficult bit is translating the instructions into living reality in our life and how we apply these instructions to Monday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Saturday lunchtime. How we apply them to our life is, that's the the difficult bit and hence our importance in the power of the Spirit. So let's read the first seven verses of chapter number 13 and we'll go on to explain Uh, try and explain what it means let every soul I'm going to read it first of all in the King James which is the the version that I prefer it's an older version with some difficult words and then I'm going to read it in the amplified version I think Sid read an amplified version just recently it was the very first um, kind of study guide my dad gave me I've still got the very volume that my dad gave me all those years ago and it basically just takes time to explain the words and it's a really helpful uh, way to to read your bible so let's read it in the king james and then we'll read it in the amplified and that will help us get the meaning let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for as there is no power or no authority but from god the powers that be are ordained by god Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the authority? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he, or the authorities, is the minister of God, a avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they that are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, 
honour to whom honour. Let me just read the Amplified and maybe some of those unusual words will be explained. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, granted by his permission and his sanction. And those authorities which exist have been put in place by God. Therefore, whoever resists governmental authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who have resisted it will bring judgment, civil penalty on themselves. For civil authorities are not a source of fear for the people of good behaviour, but for those who do evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do that which is good, and you will receive approval and commendation. For the authority is God's servant to you for good. But if you do wrong, you should be afraid. For he does not carry the executioner's sword for nothing. The authority is God's servant, an avenger who brings punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject to civil authorities, not only to escape the punishment that comes with wrongdoing, but also as a matter of principle, knowing what is right before God. For this same reason, you must pay taxes. For civil authorities are God's servants, devoting themselves to governance. Governance. Pay to all what is due. Tax to whom tax is due. Customs to whom customs. Respect to whom respect. And honour to whom honour. And this really is the word of the living God. We just seek his help as we read it. We're well through our studies in Romans, and if we learn anything about the book of Romans, it's this, that the gospel changes everything, doesn't it? Changes everything. And as a matter of fact, it's actually not the gospel. The gospel is the substance, the, the, the message. But actually, it's through the gospel, the Lord Jesus changes everything, isn't it? That's the point. It's Jesus that changes everything in our relationship with him. We've seen how that the condemnation because of our sin that was rightly deserved has been totally taken away by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that changes everything for us. It takes away the fear of judgment and, and the fear of death and takes all that away. We've seen how that where once we were slaves to sin and it didn't matter to us, now everything's changed. Now we've got an inward conflict, haven't we? Every day is a struggle for the Christian to battle against the old nature and yet God has given us a wonderful desire to please him and not only does he give us the desire to please him, he gives us the power to please him, doesn't he? Because we're dead to sin, we're alive to God and we've got his Holy Spirit. And we're not only free from our sin and, and, and able to be victors over this struggle, God has given us a great hope for the future, hasn't he? Whom he also justified, them he also glorified. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And we're looking forward to heaven. We're looking forward to heaven. And we get to Romans 12 and he's saying, listen, this makes a difference to you now. It's not just pie in the sky when you die. You know, that's, that's sometimes what people accuse Christians of. You're pie in the sky when you die. No, Paul says, listen, the gospel makes a huge difference in your life because we are now citizens of a different country completely. We don't have dual nationality, folks. We're not 
partly citizens of earth and partly citizens of, citizens of heaven, God has changed our citizenship altogether. We are no longer citizens of earth. We're no longer under the kingdom of darkness. We've been translated into the kingdom of God's own son. And Peter uses words like this. You are strangers and you're pilgrims on the earth. And we belong somewhere else. Our citizenship is in heaven. We don't have two passports. We don't have a dual nationality. Um, When I travel to Malawi, Stephen Harper that I travel with has got dual nationality. He's got an Irish passport and he's got a a British passport. I think, do you have have an Irish passport as well, Sierra? And these folks in Northern Ireland, they have this great privilege of getting two passports. And depending on where you're going, it depends what passport is better for you. You can use your British one or you can use your Irish one. And... But folks, Christians are not like that. We don't have a dual nationality anymore. We have a single citizenship that's in heaven. And it's not that just while we're living down here on earth, sometimes we use our Christian character and other times we use our natural character. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and we've been translated into the kingdom of God's own son. And we're living here in a place where we don't belong. Isn't that right? And it's really tough. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to be a Christian. It's not tough to just have a wee Christian slot in your life. You know, to do your Christian things at the Christian time. That's an easy thing to do. But it's really difficult to live as a Christian, isn't it? 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Because because we belong to heaven, because our citizenship is in heaven, as Peter says, it changes all our relationships. All our relationships are changed. So when we come to this passage... Paul's telling us how our relationships have changed and how Christians behave. He's not giving us a list of rules and regulations to say, this makes you a Christian. He's saying, because you are a Christian, this is how you'll relate to the world. And so Sid gave us a very helpful um, passage last week about how do we relate to personal relationships? You know, how do, you know, well, Christians, Non-Christians, it's just all about getting to the top, isn't it? And getting your own way and, 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 and pushing yourself to the front and coming to the, the top. And, and Paul goes through this and he says, listen, look, look at this. Christians don't live like that. They don't push themselves forward. They're not always trying to get to the top. They're always thinking about other people, putting other people first. And it's not just true with the world. It's true with our Christian brothers and sisters as well, isn't it? Because... Some of us are actually quite difficult to get on with, even though we are Christians, aren't we, really? You know, you can understand a Christian having to work hard to have a good relationship with people in the world, but, you know, sometimes we have to work hard at our own relationships with each other, haven't we, because of the old nature that's in us. And, and, and Sid gave us a very, very helpful um, explanation of how we relate to each other, how we relate to each other. And, folks, if there's anything about Christians... Non-Christians should be able to see that we relate to each other in a way that's really quite unusual. They should come amongst Christians and see a love and a, a care and a concern and a kindness was one of the things that Sid talked about last week. When people come in amongst us, it should be different, shouldn't it? It shouldn't be just like going to the, the bowling club or, 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 or going to the, you know a, a tea with other people. They should come and see something different. So this passage now is saying... As citizens of heaven, how do we relate to earthly governments? There are three 
institutions that God has ordained, right? One is the family. Marriage in the family is an institution of God, isn't that right? It's the sort of basic building block of human civilization. It's like the Lego bricks that build everything. And there's great instructions about how we behave in marriage in the family, isn't that right? Then God has the institution of his people. God's always had his people. In the Old Testament, it was a nation, Israel. In the New Testament, it's his church, isn't that right? And we are members of his body. We're members of his church. And there's instructions and principles and guidance and characteristics that characterize the church that are different from what characterize the family. And so when we gather like this, this is not family gathering. If you come to my house and have lunch with me, that's a family gathering, isn't it? But when we gather like this, we're gathering in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this institution is church institution. So we take church. Um, But the third institution that is God-ordained is governments. God has ordained civil authorities for ruling down here on earth. And look what it says. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no authority but of God. The powers that be, the civil authorities, are ordained by God. They're not just allowed by God. They are appointed by God. Now, what we've got in this passage is a general explanation of the principle. There will be some exceptions that we'll talk about in a minute. But the general principle is this. Every governing authority, whatever kind it is, and whatever nation it is, is there only because God has put them there. Now that does not just mean God only puts good governments in place. God also puts bad governments in place. Why? Well, look at your Old Testament. God calls Cyrus, right? Cyrus was the man that really was pretty awful to God's people, wasn't he really? He says, he's my anointed one. And because God is sovereign and God has a plan, God puts in place at his time and for his purpose the governments that he desires for that particular time. So, whether you like Boris Johnson or not, or whether you like the House of Commons or not, we currently have a government that's ordained and appointed by God. Now, we might not like it, and it might not be favourable to Christians, because when you think about these Roman Christians, right? Paul's writing to Roman Christians, and he's saying, the government that you're under at the moment is appointed by God. What kind of government was it? It was a dictatorship of an emperor, right? And he wasn't very good to Christians. Matter of fact, he was very bad to Christians. And it's going to get worse and worse. Folks, we have lived in a nation where for at least 200 years, going on to 300 years, the government's been good to Christians. Hasn't it? There's been Christian principles in government. There's been allowance for Christian worship, freedom. There's been the preaching of the gospel without restriction. There's the ability to talk about the moral principles of the word of God for two or three hundred years. But that is changing, isn't it? 
And it's not because God's not in control anymore. God still is in control. And whatever the power is, whatever the country is, the powers that be are ordained by God. God is in control. And look what it says. Wherefore, therefore, verse 2, Whosoever resisteth the proud resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive themselves damnation, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. In other words, what he's saying is this. <laughs> he's saying, you've got to obey the authorities that God has put over you. Whoever they are, whether you like them or not, a Christian, even though he's a citizen of heaven, is the best citizen on earth as well. We've got to be obedient, compliant, cooperative. To whatever government God has put in place, we have got to be the, more, the best citizens that the government could ever find. Now, there are two exceptions in the Bible. Number one, if the government asks us to do something that God's word forbids, right? We obey God rather than the government, right? So when the government asks us to do something that God's word forbids, what must we do? We must obey God rather than the government. Can you think of an example? I can think of at least one that springs to my mind now. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Hananiah, Asariah, and Mishael. Remember those three men that were told to bow down to the idol of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar? When the music plays, bow down in worship, everybody else bowed down and they stood still. Why? Because God said, don't bow down to idols, right? Don't bow down to idols. So if our government says, so let me go back up a little bit. Christians are not revolutionaries. We're not rebels. We're not out here to overturn governments. Not at all. Not at all. That's so far from what the Bible teaches about the behaviour of a Christian. But there could come a time when the government will ask us to do something that God's word forbids. Now, that, that could be true in all sorts of areas of life. Medical areas of life, for example. Moral areas of life. There could be times when, when the government requires something to be done that God's word forbids. And God allows Christians to stand against that. The other thing is... When they ask us to not do something that God's word commands. So God commands us to do one thing and the government says, no, you can't do that. So think simple. One, stop preaching the gospel. Is that possible that our government could get to a stage where they would say stop preaching the gospel? Of course it is, isn't it? They could actually say, well, you know, preach the gospel but do it inside your building. Don't, don't, don't take the gospel out there. Keep the gospel to yourself. Does God's word allow us to do that? Absolutely not. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. So with those two exceptions, when the Bible teaches us to do something that the government forbids, or when the government forbids something that the Bible teaches us to do, they are the only two occasions we are allowed to disobey the government, even though we don't like what they're saying. Even though we don't like what they're saying. That's really, really important, folks. We're not political people. No, we all have political opinions. You only have to get me uh, any time during the day and start me off and I'll, I'll give you my political opinion. But Christians, we're not here to change the world and overturn our government and march against parliament. We, we are told that the powers that be are ordained by God and we have to submit to them. 
Let every soul, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For no, there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been put in place by God. I've spent some time in Eastern Europe, and Christians in Eastern Europe under communism, there's other examples as well, in, in China and in, in, in Muslim countries as well. When I spoke to them, they never, they never set themselves out to be disobedient to the government. They only ever set themselves out to be obedient to God. That's, that's, that was the principle that governed them. Now, because they are, I've been with people, I've actually stood outside the, the gates of Gerla prison in northern Romania, where some of the Christians that I know were imprisoned for years for being Christians. And I said to them, why were you in jail? Were you in jail because you were trying to overthrow the government? Were you in jail because you were planting bombs? Are we in, no, we were in jail because we were faithful to the word of God. That was why they were in jail. So, so, so let, let, let's just keep reading. They that resist shall, resist shall receive to themselves greater damnation. So in other words, if you disobey the government, do you know what? You'll get what you deserve from God. Look what he says. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now that's the general principle. God has ordained that civil governments should be not a terror to good works, but a terror to evil. Government is supposed to uphold that which is good and legislate against that which is evil. Now, there are exceptions to that, aren't there? There are good governments and bad governments. But the general principle is governments are ordained by God to maintain order and to suppress evil. So it says this, listen. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. Look again what he calls the authority. He calls the servant the, the servant of God. Now, ideally, governments should be praying and reading their Bible and ruling according to the principles of God's word under God's guidance. That's what God intended, isn't it? And that's what God intended for Israel. But they don't do that anymore. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says that the closer you get to the end, the less the governing authorities will do that. But the principle is this. They are a minister for good, but if they do that which is evil, be afraid. In other words... If you comply with the government, you have nothing to worry about. But if you disobey the government, you know, don't expect special treatment. You know, if you park in the wrong place, folks, expect a parking fine, right? That's just the bottom line. If, when you were coming to the hall, you decided instead of coming to the car park, you just wanted to park out there near the door to get in and you went out and you got a parking fine. Because you'd obstructed the highway and you'd parked where you shouldn't have gone. There's nothing to complain about with that. You can't say, oh, but I was going to church to worship. That, that's not a justification. We've no justification for deliberately breaking the laws of the land. No justification whatsoever at all. Because generally, and even now generally, they do work for good rather than for evil. But if they do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Okay, let's stop here. He beareth not the sword in vain. What does that mean? It means that God has ordained civil governments 
as those who will on his behalf mete out punishment against evildoers. So, it is the government's right to take lawbreakers and give them justice. We could have a whole discussion about what biblical justice is. (laughs) You know how passionate I am about taking the gospel to prison. But prisons are not in the Bible. They're not in, well, there's, I mentioned them in a couple of places, but the general principle is that punishment is meted out in a different way in the Bible, right? And we can talk about that, but the idea is this. It's right that civil authorities are wielding the justice in society. So the courts of our land we must respect. The sentences of our land we must respect. We can't just say, I'm a Christian, so the government, the courts have got nothing to do with me. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look what it says. Wherefore, we must be needs, we subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So, a government has a responsibility before God to do, to punish evildoers, right? And punishment has, a, punishment is a legitimate means of the government carrying out God's ordinance. But if you read your Bible, and again, we don't, we're nearly finished now, but we don't have time to look at it, but a lot of what the Bible teaches about justice and governing authorities has got to do not just with punishment, it's got to do with deterrence. It's got to do with deterrence. In other words, the punishment is seen so that other people will say, I won't do that, I won't do that. And again, folks... Again, you know my involvement in tw- more than 25 years in jail. For some people, prison is not only a punishment, but it's also a deterrent for some people. But for the majority of people in jail, jail it's neither. It's neither. It's neither a punishment, nor is it a deterrent. Now, it would be a punishment and a deterrent for us, but for people who are in that system, it's neither. But the governing authorities have been put by there by God. We must respect them, and they are God's channel of, of carrying out justice in our society. That's just the bottom line. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so we as Christians, how do we relate to our government? We're obedient to them. And we're subject to them. And we're not any different to anybody else. We, don't, we live by a different principle, the principle of heaven, but it doesn't make us revolutionaries and rebels here on the earth. It makes us actually the reverse. It makes us good citizens. But here's the bit I want to finish with. What does it do when it comes to taxes? What do we do when we come to the inland revenue? Is it called the inland revenue now or is it called something else? I don't remember. Um, But look what he says. This is so clear. For this cause, pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Taxes are a God-ordained way of supporting society. Governments support society by the implementation of spending through taxes. And we can look at taxes in the Bible. Taxes are legitimately a biblical practice. Christians should neither avoid nor evade paying taxes. Christians should neither evade nor avoid paying legitimate taxes. And here's what he says. Now, think about this, folks. 
The Lord Jesus was challenged about that, wasn't he? Does your master pay taxes? Does your master pay taxes? <laughs> Show me a penny. Show me a penny. Who's the image and superscriptions on the penny? Caesar's. Render unto Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. In other words, the Lord's saying, I pay taxes and so should you. So should you. It's only right that we pay taxes. And when it came the time to pay taxes, and the Lord, the Lord, forgive me, I'm saying, there was, they needed money to pay the taxes, didn't they? They needed money to pay the taxes. What did the Lord do? He says, Peter, go down and throw in a line, and you'll get a fish. And when the fish comes, you'll get a, a, um, a piece of coin in his mouth. Go and pay my taxes. So in other words, if the Lord expects you to pay your taxes the Lord will provide a way for you to pay your taxes. Isn't that right? Because people say, I'll work in the black market, I'll work for cash, and then I won't have to... Folks, that is not the way of a Christian. It's not the way of a Christian. Here he says, pay, render therefore all their dues, tribute to whom tribute, that's taxes, custom to whom custom, in other words, VAT, <laughs> right, okay, Fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. And so a Christian has not just a monetary financial duty to the government, we've got a reverential duty to our government. We must treat our governing authorities with the appropriate respect. Now, you say to them, but they don't deserve respect. I'm, I'm appalled, the same as you are appalled, with our, with our behaviour recently. Are you? There's hardly anyone in them you would legitimately trust because of their character, but we're just told to respect them and honour them because God has appointed them over us. We're not caused to, 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 to revolutionise or, or march and, and, and tend down the street or anything like that. So, so what's, what's the passage saying? It's saying, Christians, maybe your natural inclination is not to do these things. Maybe your natural inclination is to say, don't like the government, going to get rid of them. No, no. The powers that be are ordained with God. Leave that with God. Leave that with God. And um, Sid was talking about vengeance. See these criminals, they get away with it, don't they? You would see that, wouldn't you? You would see lenient sentences and, and things like that. And you think, you know, I've got guys that I have to restrain because they think it's their business to execute judgment that the courts don't execute on people. They think people deserve more punishment than the courts give them. The Bible says, listen, personal vengeance has no place in the life of a Christian. When, even in our own relationships with each other. And then when it comes to paying taxes, folks, if we work, we should pay the taxes that we're asked to pay. And we shouldn't be avoiding them. And we shouldn't be illegally working. And we shouldn't be doing any of that stuff because we belong somewhere else. And Peter says, let your manner of life be as becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all because we're Christians. This is all because we are Christians. We live a different way. May God bless you. Lord, let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the clearness and helpfulness of your word. Some of these cut right across what we feel naturally, but we would rather subject ourselves to the authority of thy word than follow our own desires. And so we pray that as we conclude our little meeting, our worship might have been acceptable in our sight, in thy sight, and that our behaviour in the days ahead might be completely in concord with thy word. So we just thank thee. And as we take a little refreshment, we ask for thy blessing 
And we do pray that as the word of God is preached later on today, we might sense thy presence and see thy hand at work in salvation. And we'll give thee all the praise and the honour. We give thanks in the Lord's name. Amen.